Well, good evening, church. Oh, one more time. Good evening, church. Thank you. A little better. I get it. It's a long, it's, it, we're in that season, aren't we, that, of long, dark nights. It's starting to feel, it's that season that can often feel um, a bit heavy. Um, I, I, I got to be honest, I got the opportunity to come and to share, and I, I was very, uh, I was excited for it. I was looking forward to it. For those of you who don't know me, um, my name is John Epps, and, and uh, I, have a bit, I have a background in ministry, but um, I followed, got into the marketplace. I actually went to Regent, um, where Chris did. We had, I think we just missed each other, but we have a lot of close friends where we overlapped during that time. And I went there in part because I wanted to really think well about, think well about what God wants for the word, the world, and specifically to think about uh, what he might have even for kind of the, the marketplace. I mean, that's been my heart, and so that's sort of where I've, uh, I'm at now, but for about 15 years or, or more, I was in uh, pastoral ministry, often working with young adults and uh, college students uh, here and in Seattle, as well as in the um, nonprofit and camp setting. So, um, I don't get a chance to, to teach necessarily very often or to be able to share my heart, um, what God's been kind of talking to me about and sharing. So I, I love the opportunity to be able to do this. It's been a long time since I, I've gotten to be able to, to really dig in and to, to think and to pray what God might want to say to us. I, I, my confession is that I, I, when I started this, maybe perhaps it relates to the darkness, um, I wasn't in a great spot. So I would say the start of the sermon was, for me, was um, not great. I had had one of those weeks, and perhaps some of you have this as well, or you have recently. It was one of those weeks where I think I just, um, they happen, but the stuff just catches up. And um, there's a lot going on in, in our family. Sometimes Shannon and I will, will remark that it just feels like there's a lot of death around us. Um, some of you might feel like that too. There's a lot of folks uh, that we know and love that are battling um, pretty significant uh, disease, cancer, and other things. Uh, there's end of life questions that are that we're having to start to face. Uh, one of the things that breaks our hearts is like our son. Um, he his one of his friends just lost their dad this last week. Um, Brutal. I don't know if it's just a season of life, but it just feels like it's heavy, and it's been heavy. And it, it, I think there was a number of things that were just had been building up for me as well. It was um, I just was getting cranky for dynamics at work that were just frustrating. Um, you know, it was just annoying. <laughs> I think I probably I, I know I was just kind of gutting through things, but I could feel myself just in some ways what was building up, and I was trying to hold down. I was getting like, I was getting angry. And I was getting tired. We've had a number of conversations. One recently, I think, at, after dinner, that where Shannon and I were just talking about the stuff that's going on in our community and, and in the world. And it just, at the end, I mean, I literally just said, I was just like, oh, just groan. Like, I'm tired. I don't even know what to say anymore. I'm just groaning. But so, so what, one of the things that, you know, is interesting about this space, I love that we're here. I love to see the life that is in this room. But it took me a little bit as we moved here because my time in college ministry, I, ate, I was in here uh, quite a few times because I came here to support a colleague who was running another campus ministry. And this was full of hundreds and hundreds of college students. And the worship was passionate. 
And it was electric. It felt energy. And that ministry, along with a lot of other ministries, including the one that I uh, used to, I was a part of when I was a college student and, um, and directed for a time, has closed. The pandemic did it in, along with another other things. And it breaks my heart. So I love college, and I love college age, and I love young adults, and I love what happens, and I love how I saw God at work in uh, that population, in that age, and the questions they're asking, and the ways that I actually uh, was inspired over and over and over again by the faith of the younger generation that I just got to learn from and I got to encourage. And, and that's gone, that's missing. You know, I think as I was then sitting with this, and then it wasn't long after that that Chris asked if, you know, if I wanted to, to preach, which I totally appreciated the opportunity, but my first thought was, I'm not in a good spot to preach. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what kind of good news I got. Because <laughs> right now, to be honest, I don't. I talked with some friends, though, some good friends, and I even, you know, wrestled this out, and I thought, I, I really just need to take this and process it with God. I realized, and what I was encouraged in is that perhaps the hunger, the thirst, the groan was what needed, I needed to lean into because perhaps that's actually um, something that there's a lot more people feeling. Perhaps that's actually what God is feeling about this moment. Perhaps that's what we need to be encouraged in and not just try to push through or run away from because I think for me, what I was looking for, what do I hold on to? And I just didn't feel like in a week where it just kind of caught up to me, what is the good that I hold on to? Where it feels like there's just so much that is either do, going in the wrong direction that is just messed up, or even if people are trying, asking like they're trying to do something I would support, man, they're making it worse. It was just like, oh, can we just even get about the right things? And I, for me, it felt like I couldn't see it. So I say all that just because I think sometimes it's important to be able to acknowledge that as we come and we worship that it, obviously all of us are bringing in the stuff that, uh, that we are encountering the week. And this is a, a season where it's particularly challenging, I think, for us, isn't it? The world is challenging. The news is challenging. There's so much for us to be discouraged by. And I want to share for you, with you what just has been a passage for me that I was drawn back to that it's been actually an anchor point for me. It's been something that it has, God has used to, to speak into my life, to encourage me, to even be able to say, listen, the very dreams that you weren't sure I was a part of or that I wanted early on, it's been in scripture for thousands of years. That is my heart. And I think maybe perhaps what we need to hear is the goodness of the God's heart for us. And that's, that's my spirit and what I want to bring tonight. And I want to do it out of a Maybe a passage of scripture that we haven't, you might not have looked at, but one that I feel like might be a good way to articulate what the gospel is. That, you know, there's huge word. What is the gospel? What is the goodness of the gospel? What is God's heart? What is God's mission? And I think, especially in moments where we might be able to feel discouraged sometimes, and at least it's been good for me, I need to stop, I need to pull back and to root myself and to go, okay, let me remember what actually, despite what else is going on out there, what can I root myself what is the good thing, the life-giving thing that God is actually passionate about that I can root myself in this moment? Because there is good work for us to do. Again, there is good work for us to do. No matter how chaotic and messed up it might feel like things are in the world or in our life at the moment. If we will hear God's invitation. That that's, would be my heart.
So um, let me just pray. I'm going to read this, this section. We heard it was, this is, we're going to talk about Isaiah 61, which is um, what uh, Jesus said at the very beginning, which gives me hope. I can say confidently, this is what God is about because when Jesus began his ministry, he, just as we heard in the uh, beginning of Luke, full of the Holy Spirit, out of, out of the desert, out of the temptations, he begins his ministry and he basically declares, this is what I'm about. And he quotes this very verse. He doesn't have to choose it. He quotes this very verse. So I actually want to go back and see what, is, what more might there be in this section in Isaiah. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll just jump into it and see what God might want to say. So Holy Spirit, I do ask that tonight, um, I pray that uh, what might be familiar would become fresh. What uh, might have washed over us many times and has become routine would become new. I pray that you, that our imaginations and our hearts might be enlivened tonight. I pray that you would speak what is you want to, you want us to hear about what you are about and what you want to invite us to talk to you about this week. So, Spirit, I would ask that no matter whatever it is I say, uh, I ask. I welcome you here, and I invite you to speak to each and every one of us and draw us to the, the, the good news, the, the new song, the new life that you have for us um, right now. In your name, amen. Well, as we read, Jesus quoted this passage in Isaiah. Let me just read all of it, and so, because I think what we could see is an encompassing of the fullness of what the gospel is, the, the, the whole project of God in four verses, in ways that are actually, that maybe can get around sort of kind of our, the the stuff that we might have heard, our theological um, words for it, you know, our, you know, our points, because I love it that he uses in Isaiah, he's using very evocative, very sort of uh, imaginative language that, that really has incredible depth of meaning. But the truth is that so often we can know what is right. Just like I, like I was confessing at the beginning, I can forget. And it, oftentimes, it's not about what we know, but it's about what happens in our hearts. It's about, does, our, does it speak to our heart? Because we are phenomenal creatures at knowing what to do and not doing it. I hope I don't have to convince anybody of, of that. Here we pick this up. Isaiah, so here's out of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, or as you read it in Luke, sight for the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where the Luke passage stops. And then, but it continues on. The day after the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. For they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And they, these ones, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And so what I've shared with you, what I want to suggest to you is that we can find four really key elements of what the gospel and what God is all about that is important for us to remember. And that's what I've shared here. And I've written down a few things within the, the bulletins just for you to 
to be able to, like, I would hope that maybe you would circle. There might be one that you would underline or circle, or perhaps as we're going along, something, again, would spark your imagination. You could write it uh, in the side. Four things that we see of what the gospel is about. And I think it's mercy, grace, right? Easy. Feels like Sunday school answer, I know. Mercy, grace, identity, and vocation. So what I want to do, because especially in this moment, I find that very often it's hard for us to even come together and to talk in a, in a time where we are seem like we're so divided and we can't understand each other, that sometimes we have to pause back and just like, make sure that we're being clear. We redefine what it is that we actually mean, because very often we can mean very different things. But let's see what, what it is that scripture might say about this. So I want to go through uh, each four of these and then talk about them as a whole. Um, and then we'll finish tonight. I want to camp out in the first one, and that's mercy. And you might be thinking, well, John, there's not mercy is not explicitly there. But I think what you see is mercy articulated. And what I would want to start tonight is I guess I would ask for you, what comes up when I say mercy? What does that, I mean, what does that actually mean? In a lot of liturgical prayers, uh, I'm sure you've heard of it. I found a number of years ago that um, I'd grown up in the church. I was in ministry. I had actually gone through seminary. I'd gone through Bible school. I was actually in pastoral ministry. And I came to a, a passage, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's a, a passage many of us know about offering our bodies as living sacrifices. That I came to this passage, and I was going to get ready to do it for the young adults, the young professionals that I was, uh, that were gathering. And, and for the, I don't know what, how many times I've read this, but I just, really didn't sit, that it begins with, in view of God's mercy. And I began to wonder, is that, just, is that just kind of the same thing as grace? Or is there something significant in that? And so it made me, it made me pause and realize, actually, now that I think about mercy, how is it different than grace? Is it? It was fuzzy. And so I started uh, digging into it a little bit and, right, and realized, yes, they do overlap. Yes, they are related. And yet there is something that was really significant that is that they are different. That there are times when Paul, and Paul is, I grew up, at least fish I grew up in, Paul is a, the theologian of grace. We love, we love what he does with grace. He's all about grace. Romans is all about grace. I mean, sometimes, uh, I'd say sometimes where I came from or the, or the circles I was in, like we beat people over the head with how stupid they are for not getting Paul's theology of grace, right? Paul's all about grace. But what about, but why does he use mercy and was that significant? So here's what I found as I started looking around. I thought, well, I, I was in a multi-generational church, a big church, uh, university Presbyterian, just a wealth of um, people um, and generations. And though I was working with young adults, I um, did a lot on Sundays. And so we had phenomenal coffee hours with the absolute best cinnamon rolls. It was, and, I'm, and I'm a snob, but it was awesome. So in between, I thought, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not, sh it feels like there's something here. I'm just, I'm going to do a poll. So I'm going to talk to some of the, uh, uh, those who've gone before me, some of the, the, the seniors, the senior saints in our community. And so I just started asking questions like, and just wondering, is this just me? Why am I, or, or, is, or is there something else here? The first thing I learned is that like, it was good. I, you know, in some ways I could feel better about myself because I, was, I wasn't the only one who was fuzzy. Right? It seemed like there was this pause. I would, I would ask people, what is great? What does mercy mean? Or how do you want to understand mercy? Or, you know, is there, a, I'm thinking a lot about mercy. Do you have a, 
there a story that comes to mind? And, and so often, it was, I would just get these long pauses and stares. And then I found that there's a couple, there's at least three sort of themes that would pop up when I would ask this question. And, and, it, and actually, a lot of this, I mean, there was one table, actually, in one coffee hour that actually summed this up, which was fascinating for me. The first one is like, yeah, mercy. Mercy is basically, you know, that thing that you use like, oh, bless your heart. You know, it's like for somebody who doesn't quite get it, right? It's mercy is sort of, it's, sub, it's, for, it's what we use for the people that have kind of screwed up. And so in this case, it was kind of fast. Well, this person, I just remember so distinctly, this person was like, well, it's a mercy this church hasn't tanked with the new senior pastor. I was like, hmm. Sounds merciful. Interesting, right? But we use that sometimes. Oh, it's a mercy. Man, we should have, you know, something bad, else bad should have happened. And I was like, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't seem to hit. Anyways, we talked to the next person. Hey, what about you? And the, the next person described mercy. And it was one of these things. It was like this funny, um, vague sort of Jesus as like a snuggy blanket wrapped around you, general pastelli vibes throughout creation. Like, I just, I would glaze over. I'm, you know, I mean, at one point, I remember one person, I mean, sincerely, but I just, it just, it showed me that maybe there's something that we're missing that was like, well, you know, yeah, mercy, where do you see mercy? Mercy is just like reverberations from the cross. and blah, blah. It just was like, I'm just lost. I don't even know where, what's happening right now. And then this other woman that I went, um, and I'll never forget, <laughs> I always tell the story. There was a third woman. I was like, well, I, how about you? And she was like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. But then she kind of like, she sort of got that long stare. She started looking off and she's like, well, actually. So I just lost my, sorry, I'm going to get, I get choked up on this, but, and this is part of the point. I, she goes, I just lost my husband to a brutal, um, I think it was to a brutal cancer. And um, I don't know how to live life without him. And um, we had done everything we could. We were getting towards the hospice, and um, it was coming to the end. And I just, I was so, so scared. And I was so angry, and I was so frustrated. I was so mad, and I was just, I could not accept it. I could not let him, I could not let him go. And and then um, we had a nurse. She happened to be Christian. She came in, and she actually sat down and prayed with us. It wasn't necessarily a Christian um, place where they were. And um, she goes, it was just like a peace came over me, and a calm, and a tenderness. And like my whole demeanor just changed. And I just, I was able to pause and just then just like tell them how much I loved him. Tell him how thankful I was for him and our life together. And just bless him as he went. <sighs> right? Coffee hour. This is embarrassing. But I get choked up. I, I've told this story a number of times. I get choked up every time. The hair stands up on my arm. Almost every time I tell it. And I just thought, that's what mercy is. And so as I, as I begin digging into it, I begin to hear similar stories and you would have similar reactions, things that were just so vague, it meant nothing. Or they were almost more of an, use a, 
cudgel as an attack. And then there was something about then the, the mercy of God that I just realized so often was missing, even from so much of the, the good upbringing that I had within the church. It was this place where we of realizing God's kindness in the worst possible places of our life. So it's led to one more um, passage that um, gave me again, I think another picture of, of this. And it's one probably well known um, to you, but it's out of Psalm 40. The psalmist begins, I waited patiently for the Lord. He um, turned and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit and out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And I think what I begin to help me think about this in a way that, that no matter, you didn't have to be like a hardened criminal in prison to start to understand what God is trying to invite us into here was, if you were to think about it, you're on this path and you fall into this just disgusting, slimy pit full of filth. And no matter what you do, it's just, you can just imagine slippery. You just cannot get out. You can't move. You could try super hard. You can exhaust yourself. But all you do is you make yourself more filthy. You are utterly stuck. There's nothing that you can do. And if anything, what, you're think, what you feel like is that everybody walks by how they look at you, you're trying to like act like you got it together, but they're just looking at you with scorn because what an idiot. What is wrong with that? They did it. It's their fault. They should have known better. If they just would have their stuff together, they would be fine. And in this place that you feel totally disqualified, totally stuck, you realize then you think about somebody in white, the Lord walks by, and he's in white, and I don't know why he's in white. It's not popular, but he decided to be in white, and he looks great in it. And he not only stops where everybody else just walks by, but he looks at you without the scorn that you're expecting, without the judgment, without the embarrassment, and he actually looks on you with kindness. He said, you want to get out? And your question is, will you accept it? He reaches out and you try to grab his hand, but you are just so filthy and slimy that you slip. And so he decides to, with his nice white clothes to jump right in the bottom with you, put you on his shoulders, get filthy himself, and put you up on a solid footing. And what I realize, and what I guess I want to highlight for us is that as you think about the gospel, especially in these moments where we can feel so stuck, so helpless, is that it begins, and we have to remember that it always begins with a place of God's utter kindness for us in our places where we feel stuck, incompetent, incapable, unable. Let alone whether we feel like we've screwed something up, we've made a mistake. But just think about where we are at. I mean, I've been so struck over the, the number of years, it's not even old anymore, but just we are in, in an environment and a moment that is so unbelievably unkind. The judgment is instant. But ironically, everybody wants mercy. Everybody wants to say, listen, I, look, I didn't mean it, so I should get off, right? Don't punish me. I didn't mean it. I didn't intend it, right? And then at the same time, when the slightest thing happens to them, they are ready to just take you to the gallows and hang you and let you, and let you swing up there. 
It's this crazy moment where we are missing the very heart that, that I believe Jesus begins with. And I think is actually the, the I really wonder if, this, if it's the entry point to the gospel and one of the reasons why we are missing the power of the gospel. There's a reason why you two can, create, can write this song and invite a stadium of people to sing it with them and they sing it. And not because they're all Christians, but because it's this sacred moment where people are longing for kindness in the very place where they feel the weakest. Well, it continues on. As they continue on, I believe that you start to see an articulation of grace. If, if mercy has a way of picking you up and putting you on solid ground so that what you're doing actually, like you can actually do something, you can actually move forward. I think grace might be that way that, way that we can think about we actually can have a path that takes us to a new place that allows us to bring new life into what was once broken. So I think we all know, we could read, if you've read scripture at all, that just because you, um, just because you get delivered doesn't necessarily mean that you live in a way that is delivered. Just because you can get lifted out of poverty doesn't mean you lose a poverty mindset. Just because you are rescued as slaves out of slavery doesn't mean, tragically, that you don't start living with the grid of what has been an oppressive system, that you don't keep living as a slave. I mean, the, the bummer, the bummer, and yet it should make us all feel good because I think it, it, it connects to the life as we know it, is that as soon as Israel gets out, they don't become like superstar nation. They become kind of a train wreck. I mean, my goodness, I've read about Moses and just thought, Moses, you must be thinking, why in the world did I ever try to save these people? They're the worst. Because they kept defaulting back into the very things that actually were part of their oppression in the very first place. I think a key to this is that we've lost the art of mourning, which is really hard for all of us. I think it's very hard for us as Americans. And yet I've come to realize the brilliance of the beatitude where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Because it's in this place of mourning where we're not just getting over it, where we're not just saying it's fine, where we're not just moving on, where we're not just trying to like say, I, like, I, I'm afraid, I don't want to have to let in the dark. But when we have a place of mourning, and I think even mourning just on a regular basis for the stuff that just sucks in our life. The things that should be better, they really should be better, but they're not. The people we should trust, absolutely, we have every right to trust them, and they violate our, that trust. The things that, should, that, that we deserve, but we don't get. It's in that place, Jesus says, when you mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And one of the things I, I realized is it was, for me anyways, it was so easy for me to not mourn, not give voice to those things that would make me really frustrated, and what I realized, then I would, res- I would start responding out of anger and in a way of protecting what hurt inside of me. That we can't actually live into the new. We can't be a part of the new. We can't actually be an influence of the new until we're able to let go of what was. That comfort. I've realized that in that, like, going along with this, uh, a part of Psalm 23 has become pretty precious to me 
uh, over the years is just realizing that in places of leadership, especially organizational leadership, it's just tough. And sometimes you just cannot make everybody happy. As a matter of fact, you actually don't. The full game. No matter how hard you try, no matter how good you feel like your heart is, you're going to have people who are going to treat you as enemies. And the question is, how do we, are we responding out of that place where we feel like we have to prove ourselves, we have to justify ourselves, we have to, we have to protect ourselves and demonstrate to the world that we are a person of substance. We are about something significant when so often we can be treated terribly or even falsely accused. It was at the end of Psalm 23, I realized this little passage, that, at this, the shepherd's psalm that, that I loved. And I realized actually one of the key pieces for me was the very last sort of phrase where, yes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and green pastures and nice brooks and like valleys and all that kind of stuff. He guides me. Jesus guides me. He, he is actually the trustworthy leader that I can depend on. And at the very end, he says, he sets up a table of, essentially a table of honor in front of my enemies. I mean, how many of you can think of, maybe you even have somebody in mind right now who is an enemy. An enemy is just somebody who has something different that they want that doesn't align with your interests. How easy is it for us to, make, to take action out of that defensive hurt place instead of a place of actually knowing that I am loved, that, there, that the trauma or the bad things that have happened don't have to keep defining how I go forward, that I can return blessing for cursing. That doesn't happen overnight. That I can actually take action that will really do something about the problem that I'm facing. What Jesus invites us to, Psalm 23, is to step into grace and so I've often thought, sometimes I just think in prayer, like I just am going to come and realize that I am never going to not have enemies. I am never going to not have those that I feel like don't like me or um, will speak death over me or, or want to undermine me. There will never not be that. We live in a broken world. And yet every day Jesus says, come, and I want to put a table just like this just even think about this, this table right here. And I'm going to let you, I want everyone to know that this is the place of honor. I'm going to set a banquet of honor for you in this place. And I'm going to anoint you. And I want everyone to be able to see, I want you, more importantly, to be able to see that the presence of your enemies, that I'm anointing you in this place. When we do that, we are able to actually operate out of a place where we can do what actually will work matters. Well, uh, thirdly, we move to a sense that this all builds mercy and grace. A lot of us have heard that with sense of the gospel, but it builds. It's going somewhere. It's meant to do something. And I I know when I grew up, when I was growing up, sometimes I was confused. I wasn't sure beyond like knowing that like, yes, my sins are forgiven and Jesus and heaven and I can have a relationship. But like, how does this matter in the world? Well, Isaiah continues on. He's not done. He says, listen, you will be. These people who have received mercy and grace, you will become oaks of righteousness. A planting for the Lord. And I, I need to move quickly, quickly through those, but hopefully you can see that there's a lot that's packed, that's packed in here. And that's why I added some, a number of verses underneath each one that if you, if you wanted to take a next step and you wanted to kind of explore and, and think about this concept that you, that you could in that, in that handout that I, uh, we've given you. But oaks of righteousness, essentially it's an image of a sacred strength. 
the image of a sacred of, of a sacred place. They were they were places where oftentimes um, worship would happen. They were places of encounter with the divine. You think about this idea of righteousness. Righteousness essentially is this idea that one of the definitions I've always loved is the righteous. If you want to know what they look like, get it kind of out of like theoretical theological language. Sometimes the righteous are those that disadvantage themselves for the sake of the community. They're not martyrs, but if it comes if it comes to it, and they can actually uh, work to honor in all directions, they're willing to disadvantage them. Whereas the wicked, in contrast, and you see this throughout, back and forth throughout Scripture and the, the Proverbs, the wicked, by contrast, are not those that look evil. They are simply those that, are, that you can, can uh, in some ways, consistently depend on on a regular basis to um, advantage themselves over and at the expense of the community. Proverbs would say uh, at one point, a city re- uh, at Proverbs 11, a city rejoices when the righteous prosper. Well, why do they do that? Because they know if the righteous prosper, they prosper. How much are we missing that? Sometimes in the global witness of the church, in the headlines that make filled usually with just negative examples, and yet we have to sit with those. What does it mean for us if we, if we prosper that the people around us know that they prosper? It's an identity that says you matter, and it's an identity that says around you is cultivated space for the right things to happen. It's cultivated space for, uh, for people to begin to learn to trust again. It's cultivated space around you for people to encounter something that really matters. That if you are seen as an oak of, if you're known as an oak of righteousness, that suddenly people know you're steady in the places where everybody might be freaking out. You're honest. You're trustworthy. Lastly, we see then that this all translates and it moves into vocation where we read that they will rebuild, renew, and restore. You know, every human wants to matter, don't they? We all do. We want to be a person of substance. We want to be known as a person of substance, but also to, that we pour ourselves into something that matters of significance. And what you see is this, this, this whole, I hope you can see, it, it's this whole kind of progression that goes together that when Jesus begins to inaugurate this, He's looking, he wants us to look back and to see, this is what I'm, I'm starting here and look for. And I'm here to, to proclaim that um, in this moment, that this, that this is on, game on. But the point is not just that we stop there with a, a sense of the oppressed free and we're like, great. But that if once we understand that we are actually invited kind of into this flow, into this growth, that what God wants to do in and through us is to turn us into those people, no matter where we are, who are about renewing, rebuilding, and restoring what was once lost. The, the desire for every one of us to make a difference is built into us from the very beginning. And we, but we so often we fight over it. <laughs> We're looking for ways to show that we, we matter, and yet there's something in this whole process here, of this flow, where we begin to realize we could be the very people that actually begin to knit together the things that feel so broken, discouraged, messy in our world. I admit, there's, uh, in the, in the um, 
the handout. I, I put a website in there. And I, if for any of you want to look up, what I, what I love uh, about this group named Praxis and the website is they have a little section called ORIs, and they're Opportunities for Redemptive Influence. And what I love is that they've taken this, this, uh, this whole I- this idea seriously. And so within the area of work and, and uh, redemptive ventures and entrepreneurship, they said, all right, let's just, let's pause. If we were to think about rooting ourselves in who God is and what the gospel is about, how might we as uh, business and nonprofit professionals begin to look at the world and to see the places that are broken? To actually take the time to understand what is not right. And then what if we were to start thinking about what is it we could do with a business, a nonprofit, or a venture that actually might begin to knit together our community? Love it. That's what God has called us into. That's what I think in some ways the world is, is longing for. Not the ascension of Christians, but for God's people to begin to start to be uh, one of those forces by which communities begin to thrive. And I know that, I, and I can say that, I know I'm somebody's preaching the choir because that's what the heart of what Leonard Street is all about. When I was, when I was young and even uh, younger, I remember I had this heart. I knew I wanted more and more of what God wanted. I knew he had some, he had grabbed my heart in some ways. And yet so often I could feel like I wondered what is the activity of what I'm supposed to do? And I, I had, again, it was, I just felt there was a, a disconnect for me. One of the few times I feel like the Holy Spirit really downloaded on me was in this moment where um, I, just, I just began to I, like, wonder out loud, what would the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, what would revival mean? And I remember, I just don't, I want it to be rock and worship for sure. I actually, I want it to be something where you see, I want it to be lots of people in churches, yes. But what if the, part, the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit actually meant the knitting together of families? What, what if it meant we didn't have as many kids that are in the foster care system? What if it, what if it actually meant like a city that was um, great to live in? What if it looked like parks? What if it looked like streets that were safe to walk on? What if it, and I just remember thinking, because I was thinking, I just, I'm hungry for the spirit. I'm hungry for God to move in such a way. And yes, I want it to be in my personal relationship with God, but I want it so badly to be, what if it looked like the arts? What if it looked like creativity? What if it looked like a million things we can't even possibly imagine, but when you see it, when anybody sees it, they go, that is awesome. That's what I think God wants to do, and that's why he's inviting us into that. And I think even maybe especially in this moment where we feel like there, the things that once worked don't, where we, want, we feel this need that, that God's got to do something new. There's like some new wineskin, and I'll be honest, in, I've been in ministry for a long time. I don't know exactly what that is. Perhaps what God wants to do is actually he's waiting for us to come back and to go, it's, are you willing to actually come back? To the very thing that I've been about since the very beginning. Are you willing to come back to this place, this place of where I'm actually building a new people, where there are no shortcuts, where you can't just jump to glory, where you can't just jump to actual influence 
and then hope that somehow it's good when your heart refuses mercy, when you can't actually see how you connect with your neighbor. I mean, that's the thing. When if, if think about, I think it's incredibly tangible. I love it. I love these visions because they're, they're not particularly religious. They're incredibly tangible. You could think about it. They look like streets. You could think, what, what, what's a part of town that just is ugly and is falling apart? And then what would it look like to be different? That's actually what God wants to do in many ways. I don't know what is coming up for you, but I know if we were to think about this vision, God wants to do a new thing. But what I would notice, I would encourage you to notice how non-triumphalistic it is, how tangible it is, how practical it is. Just think for a moment what it would take, what maybe we long for in the leaders in our community, in our nation, our places of work. What do we need for things to not suck? We, you need somebody that understands kindness in the place of weakness and actually has a, has a way of going, I'm capable of that too. I'm capable of that kind of behavior as well. What if it, don't we need people that are not just trying to prove themselves or not taking every new initiative that you pass down within a place of work and turning it into a personal referendum on them. When you're like, Patrick, it's not actually, I'm not criticizing you. I just, I just want this thing to not suck. I just want this thing to go well. I just want us to be a little more efficient. It actually has nothing to do with you. And yet, how often do we, are we in places where we feel like we take every little thing on a referendum about ourselves? What if we could just not do that? What if we had, had leaders that weren't trying to justify themselves all the time? What if we had people who were steady and trustworthy and actually could do the right thing that needs to be done? What would that, how would that change our city? What if we had people who were actually willing to pay attention and to figure out where, how things broke down and then to go in and not, not just write it off, not just say, well, it's all going away, but actually goes in there with a vision to say, I will begin to knit together this place, this family, this community, this friendship, this business, this industry, this county. I think what we would start to see is God's power at work in very, very tangible ways and in ways that people will actually look at who want nothing to do with church at the beginning and say, I want a part of that and I will support that. Here's the interesting thing as Isaiah goes on, and I'll just, Maybe just to think about this. He gives this great vision, right? Well, then he says, there will, there will be others, aliens and foreigners, who will shepherd your flocks. Jesus says, when you follow me and you're following me through the Beatitudes, you will become salt and light. Why? Because the things that you do, other people will actually be amazed at and say, that's awesome. And they're going to praise your father. That what we see in the end of Revelation is that the nations will bring their goods in, not because they all became the same, but because they said, actually, that is praiseworthy, and I want to bring the very best of what I have. What I've, I wish I had time to talk about, what I have seen is that when we lean into this, you will have people that you thought were your enemies who will actually be your friends and start supporting you. And they're not yet Christians. 
this is what God wants to do. I don't know how that starts for you. I don't know what comes up for you, but I know that it starts in a place of mercy. And so I encourage you to be the, take what we hear out of um, Paul's invitation as we start in um, Romans chapter 12, that in view of God's mercy, in view of God's amazing work that articulated in Isaiah, would you offer your body as a living sacrifice? Just offer it. And what he's going to do is he's going to show you that 10 feet that your canopy of your tree surrounds. And what he'll start to do is he'll start to guide you and he will tell you, he will show you what is good and pleasing and perfect and the way that you fit into it. That's what Paul was trying to get the Romans to get. You guys will start wobbling on who is better than the other person and begin to realize that God's mercy is for all of you. You're going to tap into something by which God is going to show you in amazing ways and in ways you never thought possible how he wants to actually bring you goodness, and life, and joy. And so perhaps that's just the question. The question I want to give you us time to think about before we go to the table, it's a question for the table, and I would, all these would be questions for our tables tonight. But before we come to the table here, um, I thought we, I would, uh, we would play Psalm or 40 that you two articulated for us. And just let it sit, and I would... Uh, what I want to encourage you to do is where, where is God inviting you into his tenderness? Something to move towards, to be a part of something that is so profoundly good. I'm not 